Okay. Hey guys. Okay, so we'll, we'll launch in. Hi. Good morning to everyone. So we were just uh, we were just talking about Father's Day, and uh, well, I think we're going to run out of batteries on this one. Okay. So so uh, Father's Day. So just the the need to um. The need to update our memory banks. Someone asked me if I, I got any good Father's Day presents. And there was one, and I was just saying that you never know, like, what's going to be significant in terms of, like, what you remember about your parents. And, you know, I think most parents mean well. And they're of, um, parents are of different levels of, of gifts, you know. Some are naturally good parents, and they don't have to try very hard. And some are naturally not great parents. And, and uh, they don't mean bad necessarily, in fact they mean, ex- mean extraordinarily well, but they don't, they haven't necessarily given uh, a person w- what they need growing up, and sometimes that, sometimes that's extremely, extremely painful, and it, and it stays with a person their entire life, and, um, and all the comments that, 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 that we hear from each other, and things like that, like I was mentioning just a couple of seconds ago, just uh, this, this pretty girl that I knew, that the, she grew up and, and her babysitter called her ugly. You know, some stranger walked into her house, called her ugly, and she grew up thinking that she was ugly. So you have to, a person has to, just like a, you know, you do these, um, these, uh, these, you know, they have these things that clean up your, your software and your computers right now. These computers start to run very slowly. But like the brain, because the brain gets fixated on certain co- concepts, and, and it's sort of like it, it hobbles one's ability to, to be productive in, in this life, in this world, if they're fixated on certain concepts. And we're going to get into that in terms of the, the Torah portion for this week as well. And uh, a person really has to, to have the ability to revisit certain concepts and to reject them. To say, you know something, that person said such and such, and guess what? They were wrong. I, I don't accept that, and 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 that's that's a big deal. You know, um, Yedidia turned me on to a story I read uh, many many years ago. It's a Rebbe Nachman story called the uh, the Sophisticate and the Simpleton, or maybe it's the other way around. Is it the other way around? The Simpleton and the Sophisticate. Yeah, and it's an amazing story. I'm about three quarters of the way through it right now, and I'd forgotten how unbelievably deep a story it is. And the simpleton, I guess that's probably a bad uh, translation, because it's, it's a, the Tom. A Tom is someone who is simple in the, in the best sense of the word, world, in the best sense of the word. Um, in other words, not unnecessarily complicated. You know, I don't know if you guys are into reading um, restaurant reviews. I like, I like doing that, you know. And I don't know. I don't know why exactly, but... And it's not so much like I'm dying to eat in these like fancy non-kosher restaurants, but there's a certain artistry in just just the the combinations of ingredients that I, I'm really sort of drawn to. And and uh, a lot of the most expensive restaurants in the entire world, they'll they'll tell you you know it's simple cooking, but they just know how to make fish exactly right or chicken exactly right, and there aren't a lot of ingredients in it. Bless you. It's just. It's just the way it's just the way they prepare it, and um, and so to be a tom or simple, this is the best the best sense of the word. You know who uses it in a very positive way? Martha Stewart. You know, it's 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 a sign of good taste. It's simple elegance. You know what I mean? It's not it's not overwrought. Um, anyway, so he has this conversation in this story with a sophisticate who's mastered all sorts of different philosophies and, um, and, and crafts and is, you know, a, a super overachiever, except there's only one PS. Whatever he does, everything he finds incredibly unsatisfying. So, so here he is, he's great at everything, and nothing means anything to him, and he's constantly unhappy. And the simpleton, and it's, it's really, I would say, one of the great stretches of any story that I've ever read in my entire life. And of course, it's all it's all Torah. You know, Rabbi Nachman was, was concealing the deepest, deepest Torahs in the entire world in this. But, but listen to this, this, this little part of the story. So, so Rabbi Nachman is describing the, the simple person and says, uh, and says that he had this thing going with his wife where um, basically all they could afford was bread. So, so he would say to his wife, um, please, uh, please bring me 
and he would name some dish. I'm going to make up this dish. Please bring me Peking duck. And she would bring him a piece of bread. And he would eat it. He'd go, oh, this Peking duck is so delicious. Then he'd say, now, you know what I'm in the mood for? Please bring me, you know, uh, please bring me uh, finely prepared meatballs. And she'd bring him a piece of bread. And he'd say, ah, oh, this is the finest, finest meatballs, you know? And he goes on. All these different dishes. I'm making up those particular dishes, but all these different dishes. And it's always bread, and he always finds it delicious. Then, all she would serve him was water, because that's all they had, bread and water. And he'd say, bring me the finest wine. And she'd bring him water, and he'd say, ah, this wine is so delicious. And, and all, it's always water. But it, and, then, and then, in terms of wardrobe, all he had was a sheepskin coat. And he'd say, bring me my silk caftan. And she'd bring him his, his, uh, his, his sheepskin coat. And he'd go, ah, this is just perfect for the occasion. You know, so, but that's, that's deep. That's deep, 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 deep. In other words, in other words, to find pleasure in what you have. To find pleasure in what you have. And then, here's the reason why I brought it up. That's just an introduction for this thought. So, finally, the simpleton who's offered the sophisticate room in his house, because the sophisticate has no place to live, ironically enough, um, and the simpleton comes up, I, I, I shouldn't be using that word, because simpleton means someone who, everyone thinks he's mad, though, that's the, so, so it's not a completely inappropriate title, but he's not, he, 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 he's not of limited intelligence, he's actually quite wise and quite deep, but he's, he knows how to live life properly. So he goes up to the sophisticate and he says to him, how is it that you're so brilliant and you're so accomplished and you're so miserable all the time? And, and, and he says back to the simple person, you know, like, he, almost, he thinks that the simple person is crazy. And the simple person explains back to him. He says, listen, and this is, this is, this is the point. He says, he says, there are other people who are smarter than I am but they're fools first. So what does that mean? We have a Pusuk in, in Torah, one of the you know, most fundamental, you'll see why in a second, one of the most fundamental psukim, and you have to know it. It says, Reshis Hachma Yiras Hashem. That means that the beginning of wisdom is someone who has an awareness of God. An awareness that, that there is a God, that God has... Uh, a purpose for us in this world, that God is involved in our lives, all these things. That's the beginning of wisdom, which means that someone can be like a Nobel Prize winning physicist, but if they don't understand that, what are they? A brilliant fool. Because if they haven't got the very premise of reality down, you can know oodles and piles of information to the point where you can out-debate someone and shame someone and all the rest. But fundamentally, the person's an idiot because they don't understand what the simplest person in the entire world understands, which is that there's a God. And if you know that, you know everything. So, so, so the simple person says back to the sophisticate, there are other people who are smarter than I am, but they're fools first. In other words, their, their wisdom is built on a lack of fundamental recognition of what reality is. So what good is their being smarter than I am? In the end, I'm smarter than they are. And so the story continues, but that's, this is a very, this is a very fundamental thing to know. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right, let's hold off on that thought. You're right, there's a clear tie-in, but I'm, I'm on a track right now, so I want to stay with it. So, yes, it does, 100%. You're, you're absolutely right. So, um, so basically, we have to, we have to update, we have to update our files. And we have to, you see, Rabbi Nachman points out something very interesting, which is that this person who has a, uh, the, the, the Tom, right, this, this, this person who has a sim- simplicity to him in the, in the holiest, best way, does not have an inferiority complex. Is able to say to the sophisticate, wait a second, I know something. I know something very deep. These people might be smarter than me, but they're fools first. So, so a person has to have the ability to look through their memory banks and their files and to have the self-esteem to reject things that other people have said to them that are incorrect. Especially if they violate the, your individual dignity and your individual humanity and, and everything like that. You have the ability to say, you know what? Wrong. 
wrong. That's just wrong. Um, so anyway, so what was this... Uh, what was this Father's Day present I alluded to? I'll just share it with you. It's just, uh, I guess it doesn't connect so much uh, on the topic at this point, but there was a, it was a beautiful thing saying, just on the topic that you never know what's going to resonate with another person. So I just started bringing my son, Mendy, who's like uh, four and a half now, to, to the mikveh. And, uh, and what they do in elementary schools here, in the sort of the Jewish preschools, is maybe they do it in the secular schools too, I don't know. They make these cards and... Um, the teacher says, I love my father because, and then the kid completes the sentence, and then the teacher writes it out in a card. And sometimes, you know, it's almost like, you know, at the Academy Awards, because I, I, I know this structure. You open it up, and you know, and the winner, you know, the, the, the lasting memory is, you know, I've gotten because he takes me to the gas station. You know, so sometimes, you know... <laughs> Sometimes you feel like, all right, well, <laughs> I guess, <laughs> I don't know if that's good or bad, but it didn't make for a very satisfying dad moment that much right now. <laughs> so, so this year was very good, though. And I opened up the card and it says, I love my dad because um, he holds me in the deep water. Wow. You know? So, so that... um. So that, 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 that touched me, you know. So, so let's talk about this. The idea, of, the idea of what to hold on to and what not to hold on to is, 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 is really important. And uh, let's go, we're into Peloscha, that's the name of the Parsha. And it's, talk about, it's talking about holding the menorah. Now we're going to be entering into a period in the calendar right now uh, fairly soon, called the three weeks, right? So, so what's all that about? That's sort of like a, a it's kind of like a, a, a dark time in our in our history. That's the darkest time in our history, leading up to to Tisha B'av, and uh, talking about the uh, the destruction of the Holy Temple and uh, all the all the tragedies. Sort of like the, the the focal point of all the tragedies that have happened to the Jewish people. So one of the awesome things about Beloscha. It's talking about the menorah before we get into this period of our, of our, of our calendar. Oh, awesome. That's great. You know something? Let's just stop for one quick sec. Thank you so much, Lo. We'll just switch these out. Oh, it's so good. Uh. So, so before we get into this sort of dark place, so Hashem is giving us the, the halachas of lighting the menorah. So can you imagine you're about to walk into like a dark room or whatever it is, but Hashem is giving us the menorah first so that it's going to light up our path and give us strength before we, we enter into this, this part of the year. So we have like the light of the menorah, the light of inspiration, the light of the Torah that's sort of like lighting up our, our way before we get to this place. And that's this week's Parsha. So that's that's an amazing thing. Or the partial we just read yesterday anyway. But we're still within the, the hushbah of it. The, uh, you know, it's still emanating into the world right now. So, so one of the things that it talks about, so what is the light that helps us in the darkness in our, in our own lives, okay? So one of the things that it talks about is, you know, we've talked about it before. There are two, uh, there are two opinions as to how the Torah itself is organized. Uh, the probably the leading uh, exponent that everything is absolutely in chronological order is the Ramban. And he says it's all absolutely chronological. And then Rashi and others say, no, 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 it's, um, it's out of sequence, basically. I mean, the Torah is beyond time. It's, it's absolutely eternal. But the actual uh, presentation of the Parshas themselves, some come before others. Now, it's very hard. The, the, the side that says that it's actually not chronologically arranged has its classic argument right here in this Parsha. Because it's, it's very hard to, to argue against this particular piece of evidence. So let me just present it to you so you, you know where the headquarters of the argument that it's, that it's uh, not chron- chronologically arranged is. So, so the book of Bamidbar, the book of Numbers, begins saying that it was, it's, uh, it's talking about counting, and it says in the, in the, uh, in the first day, is it the first day of the second month? What is it? 
Yep. It's the, it, it talks about the first day of the second month in the beginning of the Parsha. And then, all of a sudden, and that's in the second year, and now all of a sudden we get a couple of Parshas in, and this takes place, this event, when Hashem is giving us the mitzvah of Pesach, um, in the desert, it, it's talking about in the second year. Okay, so that's the same as the beginning of the, of the book of Bamidbar. And then it says, it's talking about what's going on in the 14th day of the first month. So this is taking place the 14th day of the first month. And the other, which begins the book, is the first day of the second month. So this clearly, clearly, clearly precedes the other thing, and yet it's in the middle. Okay. So, so you can explain that away, by the way, and the Ramban does. But, but let's, get, let's look at, in other words, if this is the classic place, if this is the classic place that explains how the Torah is out of sequence, let's find out what, what they're discussing right here, because that's, that's going to tell us something very deep, right? And if you remember, I'll just throw it in right now, because it was, for me anyway, a very exciting thought. We, we were discussing it probably a couple of months ago, which is that each person is like a Torah scroll. Each person is like a Torah scroll. And why is life so confusing? Because on one level, the events in your life are totally in sequence, right? You pour a cup of water, you put it to your lips, you drink it, everything is wonderfully in sequence, right? But on the other hand, if you're a Torah scroll, remember, everything, whenever you have two opinions in the Torah, we say that it's like both of the opinions, right? These and these are both the word of the living God. So that means that on one level, your life is in sequence, and on another level, your life is out of sequence. So that's why on some level, life is so incredibly confusing, because sometimes there are events happening to you, they're out of sequence. This is addressing something that happened in a previous lifetime. Or, this is addressing something that you need for later in your life. Or for your children's life. Or for your grandchildren's life. You know, it talks about the Avos. We're, we're saying prayers in certain places in Israel that were going to be significant generations later. They, so, so, oftentimes, life is confusing for us because the events in our own lives are out of sequence, just like in a Torah scroll. And we have to understand that and appreciate that. You just have to be in the moment. You go, okay, I'm not getting it, but it's significant. And then you concentrate on it. And then if you really want to get holy, you have a special kavana. Hashem, whatever this is, I don't understand it right now. If this is a fixing from a previous lifetime, please may it be mechaper, may it be effective. Or if it's for a future generation or a future time, please God, whatever lesson I have to learn, may I learn it strongly and plant it deeply so that it will benefit me or my children or my grandchildren for the future. And if you do it with kavana, then it, 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 it takes effect much more. You have to have holy intention, right? You can't sleepwalk through life. It says that by Torah we say that, that the righteous are alive even when they're dead, and the wicked are dead even when they're alive, because they're not making any use of their life. Okay. So very significantly, right after we have this little chronological sort of surprise or thing in the Torah, what comes right after that? The mitzvah Pesach Sheni, which is what? What's Pesach Sheni? That means, you know what? Absolutely, you know, we don't have a temple today, but in the times when we have a temple, if, you, if, if someone was going to tell you, like, what is the most important mitzvah in the Torah... Well, people will have different opinions, you know. But someone, if you ask a group of scholars, someone's going to say it's the Korban Pesach. The Korban Pesach is a very, very fundamental mitzvah. You bring this, this offering on Pesach, and it's, it's huge. Certain people can bring it, certain people can't bring it, but that's, your, that's basically your, your membership dues in the Jewish people, bringing the Korban Pesach. It's very, very significant. Now, what happens if for some reason you're not able to bring it because you're in a faraway land? Or because you're in a state of ritual impurity. So there were people in this case, there were people in that situation, and they said to Moshe Rabbeinu, it's not fair. We're in a state of ritual impurity, and, 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 and we had to be in it for a variety of reasons, either because they were holding the bones of, of Yosef at Tzadik, or because they were taking Nadav and Avihu outside of the Mishkan, 
For one reason or another, they were in the state of ritual impurity, and they say to Moshe Rabbeinu, we want a chance, to, we want a second chance. And Moshe says, it sounds good, let me ask God. And God says, absolutely. One month later, on the 14th of Er, you get a second chance. So isn't it interesting then, that the very part, the most fundamental, the headquarters of the Torah being out of order, is talking about on the spot, the idea that you get a second chance later in life. You didn't get it the first time, but you get another chance. You get another chance. Something awesome. You know, I want to tell you this just because I'm thinking about it right now. You know, we have a very deep, very, very deep notion from the Baal Shem Tov about how God judges us. And the Baal Shem Tov learns out a story from Nassim, the prophet Nassim, and David Melech. in the, the events surrounding Bathsheba. Nassim says to David Melech, there was a man who had great holdings, vast wealth, and there was another man who only had one sheep. And the rich man took the one sheep away from the poor man. Well, what's the halacha? And David Melch says, that person gets the death penalty. And Nelson says, you just judged yourself. Because I came up with a parable that was your situation with Bathsheba. And so the Baal Shem Tov learns out from that, that how does God judge us? He shows us a very similar situation that happened to us in our own life. And he sees how we judge those other people and that's how we end up judging ourselves. That's how God poskins, says the Baal Shem Tov. He looks at how we look at... Because listen, you know, remember what it says in Perkei Avos, that you can't judge another person until you're in their shoes. And we wanted to say, like, it's not just that it's a nice thing not to judge another person. But basically, only God has all the information before Him. And the reason why you don't judge another person is because you don't have the, all the information in front of you. Which means that it's, just, it's not just that it's a nice thing not to judge another person. It's that you will be wrong because you don't have all of the information before you. You don't know what the person was thinking at that time. You don't know all the, all the tons, myriad of circumstances that were going on at that point. You will be wrong. So on some level, who has the information when they made a mistake? Well, on some level, the individual who made the mistake has that, individu- has that, has that information. So that person, on some level, is in a situation to judge themselves, right? Okay, so new. You want to say, you know, did... One person said to me one time, we were talking about something, and he said to me, um, he said, he was telling me a story, and, and then I asked him a, a question, and then he said to me, well, he says, uh, he says, no, 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 but this, this situation that I'm talking about is different, right? And I said, because it was you, right? <laughs> you know, I came up with a, a, a theory one time, did you ever have this situation where you haven't seen someone in a long time and uh, they say something like, so, you know, how's little so-and-so? <laughs> you know, like one of your kids. And you go, well, you know, little so-and-so is seven years old now. And the person says, ah, oh, time flies. And so what I want to say is time flies when it's not you. <laughs> you know? Time didn't fly for me. I was putting on his socks and his shoes and driving him different places, right? You ever have this situation that maybe the women can identify with this more than the men, where someone comes up to you and says, uh, oh, you're growing your hair out. And, and you say, I just got it cut. <laughs> you know, it, 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 it's very simple for other people when they're not directly involved in your lives. But when you're there, you know what the situation is. You know how much work is going into every single moment, getting through one day. So God shows us another situation. He shows us another situation and He sees how we judge that situation. And then that's how He judges us. 
So what does that mean? That means you have to have a good eye for everyone. A, because it's nice, and B, because it's self-survival. You know, if you want to be selfish or overly practical about it. Yeah. Right. Right. Now, I heard from Reb... Yeah, you're right. And I heard, I heard from Reb Shlomo in the name of the Ishvitzer that they were actually trying to save his life by, 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 by judging him a little harshly. Why? Because they knew that it had been prophesied that he wasn't going to enter into the land of Israel. And according to the way the Ishvitzer is learning out that Israel is the land of fixing. So if he's already perfect, he doesn't need to get in there. So they wanted to find some sort of flaw that he had so that he would have something to fix so that he could enter into the land of Israel. A very deep shot. Very deep shot, you know? So, so basically, this idea, this idea that this second chance, you missed it the first time, but you know what? God rearranges events and then makes it so that you have it always floating. This is the idea of Pesach Sheni being out of order. Because you missed the chance the first time. But here it is another time. Here it is another time. And it's an opportunity or it's a chance to positively judge yourself. You have this, you have this floating second chance. Now listen to how we're going to tie this into the next section in the Parsha. Right after, right after you have this idea of the second chance, you have the divine signs to move on. Okay, this is the whole Torah description of how the cloud was over the Mishkan, the tabernacle in the desert, when the Jews moved, when they didn't move. So in other words, something very deep, and it's connecting to what, how we started the, the talk today. We're going to talk about when the Jews moved on, Okay after you have this chance or after you make a mistake or whatever it is, let go. Move on. You know? Can you imagine? It's sort of like, um, you know, it's a little bit crazy, but, you know, you make a, a person makes a mistake in life. You know, it's like a dead rat. And it's sort of like, hey, you know, you're hanging out with a friend and your friend says, hey, what smells? And you're like, I don't know. He says, well, there's a powerful odor emanating from your pocket. <laughs> there is? Yeah. What's in there? Oh, that's my dead rat. <laughs> well, what are you carrying around that for? <laughs> I don't know. Well, why don't you throw it out? Oh no, I don't want to let go of that. <laughs> Why is that? <laughs> I don't know, maybe I should see a psychologist. Yeah, maybe you should. You know, they talk about the Rambam, talks about something, it's, man, it's so, it's so central. He says that a mikvah cleans up a person. Mikvah really has a powerful effect. But what were to happen if a person were to go underwater in the mikvah, do everything right? except they're holding on to a rat. So it doesn't work. The mitzvah doesn't work. So you've got to let go. You've got to let go and you've got to move on. That's why we have like these signs of moving on in the desert right after Pesach Sheni. You get your second chance, you move on. You judge someone favorably, you move on. So it's, this is absolutely the... the, the this portion of, of uh, the cloud over the tabernacle is absolutely one of my favorite parts of the entire Torah. And uh, it would take a while to read. But it's, um, in this book, it's, it's more than half a page long. And if you read it, it's just, it just, it just sounds like endless repetition. It's talking about, it seems to be saying the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. When the cloud was there, they stayed. When it went on, uh, when it went up, they moved. Moved. You know, and it just says that variation after variation. But let me just... I looked at a number of commentaries on this, and I just want to distill, like, what I learned and, uh, and relate it to our lives right now. Basically, I can't tell you in whose name, 
But these are all classic commentaries. So, so one of the Mephorshim said that basically it's, being, it's going on at length here in order to give praise to the Jewish people for what they did and their level of t- attachment and their belief in God. And one of the things that it talks about, and we're going to connect it to what immediately follows in the Parsha, which is the trumpets. Okay? They have these long silver trumpets and the kahanim, that's very significant, the, 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 the priests, the people who ran the, the tabernacle, would, would blow these truas, right? Remember Rosh Hashanah is Yom, is it Yom HaTruah? Yom Truah, however you say it. It's like, it's a, it's a special kind of staccato, broken chauffeur blast, and that was the sign to move on. That's coming in a second. We're going to get to that in a moment. But let's just talk about some of the, the ideas of moving on here. It was a, there was a cloud over the tabernacle during the day and a, a pillar of fire by night. And then there was a transition where even at night you'd still see the cloud before the flame came and then at, during the day before you'd, you'd still see the flame before the, the cloud took over. So, so there was that interesting overlap as well. But anyway, everybody knows, everybody knows that there are 42 stops that the Jews made during the travels in the desert. And all the Rebbes say that in our lives there are also 42 stops. And someone loses a job, or someone gets divorced, or someone's engagement doesn't go through, or there's a death. Shalom, we should all live long. All these very, very, very difficult transitions in our lives. And what is it? It means that the cloud lifted up over the Mishkan and it's time to move on to the next chapter in your life. This is the march through the desert, guys. This is the march through our own lives. A situation ends and you didn't want it to end. It says here that when the Jews were in a place, even if they were in a place for a short period of time and the cloud lifted up, they went. Why is that so significant? Because they wanted to stay. They liked it there. They liked that person in their life. They liked that job. But the cloud lifted up and they left. That's the praise. That's the praise of us. And when did they leave? When the Kahanam blew the trumpets. It wasn't the boss that fired you. It was God telling you to move on. That's the significance of the Kahanam blowing the trumpets. We're working for God whether you know it or not, whether you like it or not, whether you admit it or not. And when He says move on, we move on. And you don't do yourself any benefit if you attribute power to lower sources. Know that it's coming from above. Because otherwise you're going to be like the sophisticated in the Rebbe Nachman story where you know a million things and you know nothing. And what about, what about when it says that they were in a place for a long time? And then the cloud lifted up and they left. That's another Pusik in this thing. But we already know. We already know that they'd leave. When, so is it saying that when they, when they stayed in a certain place for a long time, but when the cloud left, then they left? Because they were in a place in a long time and they didn't want to be there. They wanted to leave sooner. Life was hard. It was difficult. They didn't like that place. I'm lonely. I want someone. So let me run off and be with this person. I'm bored. I want a vacation. Let me smoke this or that. I don't like being inside my head right now. Ah, but what does it say? Even when they were in a long, in a place for a long time, they stayed in that place and they didn't leave that place until the cloud lifted up. They had a Muna, they had faith, they knew that there was some tikkun, some fixing taking place. 
And even if it meant confronting their own demons, then they did it. They did it because that's where they were supposed to be at that point in their life. And they stuck with it, even though it was uncomfortable. Incredible. Incredible stuff. Incredible stuff. And then, and this just gets sad for me, you know, what the next section is. But listen, let's just, uh, let's just learn it together. Maybe we can daven. So then the next section talks about, let's reset the scene. The Jews have been at Mount Sinai. They committed the sin of the golden calf. God forgave them. Now it's a year later. It's actually, you know, it's a date that I, I, I want to try to have more kind of like Kavanapur next time around, this next year. It's the 20th of ER. The 20th? Oh, is it the 20th of ER? It says it's the 36th day of the Omer. So whatever that works out to. So that's when they made their first move from Mount Sinai. So that's like the first the first move, okay? And they go to Paran. So we learn out later what happened in Paran, the sin of the spies. And that's this week's Parsha, right? We go into Shlach. So, it's, it's nerve-wracking. It's nerve-wracking to make a change in your life. It's nerve-wracking. It's very uncomfortable. You get used to certain things, right? That's the rat in the pocket, right? It's there's a there's a comfort level to uh, to holding on to my failures. There's a comfort level in that. You know why? Because maybe on some level, I can ask less of myself, and that makes life a little bit easier for me. Right? Because who am I? I'm the one who blew this situation. So if I'm the one who blew it, then what do I really have to accomplish anymore in life? Right? No one expects anything more of me. I don't. So it's very tempting, very tempting to hold on to our failures. Not because we're stupid, because we're a little bit cunning. Right? It serves our interests to hold on to that. Because then we have to do less. And we, go, we, don't, we don't get down on ourselves for that. See, very, these are all very, very subtle, toxic, kind of like currents in our personalities and in our minds, you know? So, all of a sudden, we hit this place we, we, we pick up and we leave and we're in this place and then God says, okay, listen, you know, well, there's a whole kind of debate as to who sent out the spies into the land of Israel. Did that come from the people? That seems to be, I, I, to my understanding, where, where, where it probably came in the end. Did it come from Moshe who was trying to appease the people? Did it come from God? Who who did the order to send spies out to the land come from exactly? Was it a religious idea? Because you're not supposed to rely upon a miracle? So let's do it like a, a real military situation. We'll go, we'll check it out, see what it is, that's the way we're supposed to do it? Right? Or was it an irreligious kind of situation? It's sort of like, whoa, before you send us there, let's just... <laughs> Let's just check that out. Let's just see what's going on over there, you know? Make sure that we want to go in there. So, there are all sorts, there's, there's uh, and we've talked about it at length in previous talks, like all the different accounts that are going on in terms of what the spies had in mind. In some instances, they're, they're the holiest. They want to be in the desert. They want to be with the miracles. They want to have all the time in the world to just meditate on God and learn Torah and everything like that. On the, on the other hand, no, no, no. These people who were the spies were going to lose their position and they wanted to maintain their own covet in this situation. Right? They weren't going to have their fancy jobs anymore. 
So, so they want to protect their own situation. You have the whole gamut. You have the whole gamut. On, on, on one hand, they felt like they weren't worthy. They, I heard from Reb Shlomo that they looked into the land and they saw the level of merit that the Jewish people needed in order to be able to go into the land. And they said, you know what? The way Reb Shlomo phrased it, he says, they looked into uh, our, our heavenly bank account to see how much merit we had. And, and they saw we don't have enough merit to deserve such a thing. And now listen to this. This is very important. Then Reb Shlomo said, but what didn't they realize? They didn't realize that Hashem was giving it to them as a gift. You see, sometimes in your own life, you say, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy. And guess what? You're not worthy. But you know what? God wants to give it to you anyway as a gift. And then you have to be on the level to be able to accept it as a gift. You know? The most heartbreaking commentary that I ever heard on, on this is from a, a friend of mine, Michael Goberman. He said, so, so what was going on with the Jewish people and, and they're not believing in terms of what God had in mind in terms of the land? Like, where was the disconnect? And he said that on a very fundamental level, the Jews didn't necessarily believe that God had their best interests in mind. And you know, it all begins and ends right there. It all begins and ends right there. If you don't know that God is good, and if you don't know that every single thing that happens in your life is an aspect of the goodness of God, then you're nowhere you're back to nowhere. That's a good title for something, isn't it? Back to nowhere? <laughs> wow. You know, I often think that if a person, through their own actions and their own mismanagement of their own lives, for whatever reason, you know, understandable or not, you know, they wander into a thicket of, 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 of thorn bushes. And then you got to get the guy out of the thicket of thorn bushes well, it's going to hurt and it's going to cut and the person's going to be in a little bit of pain. But what's happening? The person is being rescued. Sometimes in our own lives, it, 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 the situation, it hurts and it, 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 it cuts and we think, what is God doing to me? Well, I'll tell you what God's doing. God is rescuing you. God is healing you. God is fixing you. And it's, and it's all tied in with that first move, you know? Because, alright. We made our march from Sinai. And now I'm like, I'm thrown off a little bit. They start complaining about what they're eating, what they're not eating. Everything's like a little bit harder, more uncomfortable. But what's at the, what's at the root of it? Does God mean well for me or doesn't he? You know, there's this phrase and I love it. You know, people say it and it's kind of funny because it's sort of associated with more of a surfer mentality. But it's, you know, which we tend to say those aren't the most intellectual people. You know, when you have the representation in a TV sitcom or a movie, whatever it is, but it's deep, it's smarter than smart. You know, people go, it's all good. It's all good. You ever meet people say that? Yeah. Say it yourself. Because <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's all good. It's all good. It's all good. And you've got to ask yourself, okay, now I just made a transition in my life. Well, who is blowing the horn? If it's the Kahanim who are blowing the horn, and it is the Kahanim who are blowing the horn, then you know that's, that's from God. That's from God. This transition is from God, whatever it is. And then you have to cut yourself some slack. Because, you know, whenever you move into a new place, you always bump into stuff. Right? And you always forget which is the, which is the silverware drawer. Right? Like nine times you open it up and they're like the sponges. It's like, all right. To the left. To the left. Okay? 
<laughs> but eventually you get it. And whenever you enter into a new situation in your life, you just got to allow for that transition and go, okay, this is part of the transition. You know, I'll tell you something. I was not a great student. I was, I was very unstudious. And, um, and every once in a while, I would have to learn like an entire subject the, the night before an exam. <laughs> like a subject like, let's say, uh, chemistry. <laughs> <laughs> and that is very conducive to panic. <laughs> panic is very not conducive with success. <laughs> so how do, you, how do you negotiate those waters, right? So one of the tricks that I taught myself is that whenever you enter into any new situation, you know, whether it's a new group of people, a new social situation, or a new... Um, academic subject, right? You want to start learning Gomorrah or whatever it is, or learn Hebrew, whatever it is. You have to tell yourself, you know something, they're like, I don't know, they're like 15 things I got to learn. It's not an endless amount. I just got to learn these 15 things and then once I get those, they repeat themselves and come up all the time. So that way, you allow yourself, you understand that there's, there are borders around the, what seems like an endless, you know, abyss, right? You go, okay, all right, now let me just break it down, okay. Well, I don't know that, and I don't know that, and I don't know that. Okay, well, let me learn that, and that, and that. Okay, now I know three of the 15. And 15 is a lot. Many subjects have far less than 15. And then this way, you just, it's just a practical tool. You just, that way you're, you're, you're in control seemingly, even when you feel like you're totally out of your leap. And you just learn these things. Like with your own, with your own personality. Okay, so I've judged myself, you know, unredeemable. Okay, well, let's be more technical. Well, there's probably a handful of character traits that I gotta get down. Alright, well, now that I know that, let's work on gratitude. Let's work on, you know, whatever it is, whatever the other, whatever the categories are. And then all of a sudden, okay, okay, now I got a plan. I got a plan. I can go forward. So, so not getting rattled by transition. That's because we got rattled. We got rattled. We made our first move in the desert, and then all of a sudden, we're so thrown. What does God have in mind for us? Okay. So, I want to dedicate this class uh, to, to a dear, 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 dear friend who's, uh, you know, in the next world, Oliver ben Abraham. And uh, this is the, the week of his yurt site. And um, and uh, I heard a tour from Reb Shlomo. We'll, we'll, we'll end with this. What did, what did the Jews? What were they complaining about when they were complaining about meat, wanting meat? That's the next. Uh, that's the next section. Bless you. That's actually a couple of sections away, but within the same parsha. So Reb Shlomo says, you think that the, the Jews just wanted hamburgers, right? So it was more than that. See, meat grounds a person. And they were eating mana, which is like very, very high up. I actually heard from Rabbi Green an incredible shot on what their complaint about the man was, the mana that fell from heaven. You see, we live in a world of cause and effect. That means that I push over a chair and the chair falls. Why did it fall? Because I pushed it over. I say something nice to someone and the person smiles. Why did the person smile? Because I said something nice. Okay? So that's cause and effect. That's how we understand reality. But the problem is, is that 
all the causes oftentimes we attribute to other people. And on some level of reality, that is happening. That is in fact happening. But in the deepest sense, it's all coming from above. So remember, they could taste anything in the mana. They could taste any flavor in the mana. So, but, but all of the illusion of cause and effect was taken away from them. And they realized that every single thing that's going on is only from God. Right? Because even though it tastes like meat, they saw really what the source of it was. And that was blowing their minds 24-7. They only saw... In other words, if I'm going to taste meat, so here's, here's how I would taste meat. I would have a cow. The cow would get killed. You would then take the section from his shoulder, whatever it is, you'd grind it up, put some spices on it, cook it, then I would taste it, I would taste meat. So you would think that that meat was the culmination of the entire process, right? But who put the flavor in the, the thing to begin with? God. And God has to have you taste meat by you going through all those steps? What if God just puts the taste of meat in mana? Then you taste it directly. And you realize that everything is coming straight from Him, even though we're so used to the process. Right? So it was blowing people's minds that everything was coming exclusively from God. And they said, we want some meat. We need to be grounded. We need a little cause before our effect. We're living in this world and we're seeing the illusion of this world in front of our faces. And it's too much. Give us some meat. So Reb Shlomo said, you know the hardest thing in the world is to have your heads in the clouds and your feet planted on the ground. It's the toughest balance in the entire world. So Hashem should bless us all that we should be very respectful of the world that we're living in. We should understand that, you know, that while on one level everything's coming from God, on the other level He's sending us emissaries who He's channeling His will through and we have to treasure those people, but not, at, not to the extent that we don't realize that everything is simultaneously coming from God, but not to be religious to the point that we're disrespecting the contributions that are very real contributions and the, the, the product of the free choice that all of us are making in order to do good. So we have to simultaneously treasure each other, but to know that the source of everything is from God. And if you can do that, you'll have your feet planted in this world, right? And you'll have your head manish in heaven in Shemayim. Okay, have a good week, guys. Thank you.